If you're a local government enthusiast who's looking for fresh conversations over a hot cup of morning coffee or tea or while you're driving or walking the dog, you do you. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Local Gov Cafe podcast, hosted by Susan Gardner and Ann Mitchell. This podcast is devoted to having conversations that matter, covering the full menu of municipal topics. You'll discover guests who bring insight and inspiration to the issues that drive and challenge communities. We'll be talking with leaders in policy, practice, consulting, and academia to put a spotlight on civic government and the people who make it all happen at the local level. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Local Gov Cafe. And tell us what's cooking in the cafe today. Good morning. We have Dr. Manjek in the cafe with us this morning, and I'm really excited for this conversation. Dr. Manjek's background includes a BA, BN, a post-degree certificate in human resources, a master's of continuing education with a focus on workplace learning, and a doctor of management with a specialization in organizational leadership. Dr. Nanjek says that she didn't seek out HR as a career path, but rather that HR chose her. This following quote will help you understand our guest. It was an alignment of my philosophy of being continually curious and seeking ways to solve problems. I like to think of this through the lens of the scientist. Dr. Manject has recently been awarded the OC Tanner Award for Lifetime Achievement in HR Industry in 2021 and the Life Membership from the LGMA, the Local Government Association in British Columbia in 2023. Dr. Manject says it's a great privilege to be recognized for one's lifelong accomplishments. She believes it will highlight the importance of human resources and how human resources practitioners can change the lives of the people they work with. Given the chance to do it all over again, she wouldn't change a thing. Welcome, Raylene. Oh, thank you both for that great introduction and hi and a, just a hearty welcome to both of you. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you here today on the Local Government Cafe. Thank you both for the great work that you do in local government and highlighting what's going on in our world. Oh, Raylene, lovely to be chatting with you again. So glad you could join us. We're going to take a deep dive on some of the uh, HR topics that are relevant today. And maybe we can just start out by talking about how human resources contributes to innovation within local government and what makes it, in your opinion, a critical element in the local government sector. That's a great question. And it's so great to be chatting again with you too, Sue. I really think that in today's complex work environment, HR professionals really should be a business partner at that senior leadership table. And that's really how HR can assist in shaping organizations through strategy and really contributing to the future of performance excellence. And you'll hear me talk about performance excellence because I really think everything that we do leads to that outcome. Because HR can influence uh, the organization by not only really promoting strategic development at every level of the organization, but also by asking where we are going. What do we need to do to get there? 
And by providing that strategy, for example, through learning and development and those resources to bolster the organization, they can do that. Because after all, if we don't equip our people to do their very best work and HR professionals are consistent and predictable in how they model that strategy throughout the organization, then that strategic plan really can cascade its way right from the strategic uh, body, council in this case, right through to the whole organization. And I think without that, the ability for creativity and innovation to be front and center in how the environment really creates those connections and opportunities for belonging would be lacking. I'm just going to expand on that a little bit, Raylene. And one of the things I noticed, because we're in the middle of developing some strategic goals, and as a city manager, I've always noticed that it's the organization almost follows the city manager in how they place the importance of HR. And would you say that really affects the organization and the HR component? And without a very close relationship with the city manager or the CAO, HR really is hampered in their ability to move the organization forward following the direction of council and under the support of the CAO. I think that they need to be moving together in tandem. And if it is a secondary consideration by the city manager or HR is deemed to be not as important as some of those front-facing services, I think that it's going to be a struggle because HR is a central service provider within the organization. It's not external facing in terms of I'm out there like an operations crew where the public can see me. But if HR wasn't healthy and functioning and robust in an organization, you're not going to have the workers out there doing the work that the public are going to see. And so it's vitally important that the relationship and the relationship management that happens between the city manager and the HR director or manager or whatever titling you use in your organization is present and is continually worked on. Because I think without that, the HR team is unable to deliver to the level that would be expected by the, the city manager or the CAO. I, I agree. And as the principal advisor to council too, the city manager can impart that importance to council and the public, I think. I honestly think that HR, my own personal opinion, is the heart and soul of any organization. It's the keeper of the corporate secret. It's where the employees come. It's that sanctuary of safeness. And we'll talk a little bit about that psychologically safe component, I'm sure, as we start to move our way through. Because coming back to what Susan said, you can't be truly innovative and creative if you don't have a safe workplace. Absolutely. So you talk a bit about relationship management and how coaching is the new management superpower. Can you expand on this theory for us? Oh, sure. The heart of everything is really in how we build and maintain positive relationships. But it goes really much farther than that. It's truly the art of influencing people to become the best version of themselves. And so that's based on clarity and consistency, you know, how we communicate, our positivity, our interpersonal skill development, and all of that enhances our creativity and innovation and can assist career growth. And I think we all need to be recognizing that people are not going to stay typically in 
one role any longer. They want some challenge and opportunity and ability to career path and move. So all of that, I would say, is linked to what uh, I deem servant leadership. And it's where we really practice that awareness, you know, how we can use empathy and stewardship, how we can deeply listen and persuade and, you know, healthy organizations and conversations and how we have conceptualization and foresight in, in our workplaces. But when you take all of that, and I realized that was a lot for the listeners, you can really leverage that to the superpower of coaching because coaching helps us become our best. And it works because we can change best when we feel successful, when we're motivated to see and to feel our progress in organizations, when we're accountable, where we can really begin to uncover what I would call those limiting beliefs. Those are those things that are lurking just beneath the surface that kind of hold us back a little bit. And that prompts that bridge between knowing and doing. And so by asking those really deep questions where the answers are forged from the person that you're talking with inside that coaching conversation, it really can assist those relationship management opportunities. So perhaps a better question would be, is why wouldn't we coach when we can bring forward all of those outcomes? Just following up on that, we see so many generations in the workplace right now. Does that represent an opportunity in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. There's so many ways that you can leverage coaching and mentoring if we wanted to even push it out further. And they're two very different things. You can flip the generational coaching because usually you think, oh, a more senior person would coach a junior person. But actually, you can flip that and have a junior employee coaching a more senior person around issues or items that they may not be so comfortable, like technology, for example, where you can have and you can start to break down those silos where you have one person who might be working in, say, planning and engineering, working with somebody who is an operations uh, personnel member. And you can start breaking down those silos and really building those relationships across the organization so that you're able to have a conversation that continues. So now when those two folks see each other out on the street or whatever, they say hi, instead of walking by one another because they really weren't introduced or didn't know, or they only actually see each other in a room once a year at a gathering. The city of Vernon, which is, I've just recently retired from my director's role at the city of Vernon in HR, and we had both coaching a formal coaching program where we actually considered it part of our HR fundamentals training for our staff. We wanted everyone to learn how to coach. We developed coaching communities of practice where we could continue that learning opportunity even after the session. And we had a formal mentoring program, which was overwhelmingly successful. There was so much uptake that we actually had to pause it at one time because the administrivia of it was just that so broad in that perspective. But yes, absolutely. It can bridge those gaps between the generations beautifully. That's fantastic. That kind of leads into our next question here, which deals, a lot of this deals with what many people would call soft skills and considering how important these are in raising us up. What do you think might be a better term for those skills, given their critical role in today's hiring process? Oh, I love this question. Words have meaning, full stop. And so by using the term soft, I think we diminish the value of those skills. I think 
we're actually disrespecting that skill set and we're implying that they may be considered an optional outcome. And so that ability to begin to change that language and really understand the noise around that can separate thriving organizations from ones that maybe are struggling. And so these are difficult to measure attitudes, their processes, their perceptions of people who are doing the work. And so we consistently, I believe, we consistently underinvest in those areas of learning and development. I think we're almost grounded in fear that these things are innate and they can't be taught. Because of this, I think we downplay it a bit and we call them soft, which makes it easy for us to not invest in them. So to really build organizations that lead through that lens of performance excellence and psychological safety, we need to build people-centric organizations. And to do that, they have to be rooted in the foundation of real skills. So through the confidence, really, and the permission to talk to one another in a way that's understood, we may not always agree, but we always have to be in a place where we understand. That's really well said. And you and I talked a little earlier about skilled people managers. And I find organizations are really interesting in that they hire people. And when you get up to the higher level and you want to be a leader, you don't necessarily need the technical skills. So can you talk a little bit about what you term skilled people managers? I think that communicating with employees can be uncomfortable, right? Because we built systems that are founded in domination, control, maybe some force in there, and it makes it difficult. So this is a form of what we would call power over, right? Oftentimes we ask people to leave their humanity and their authentic selves out of the workplace, which is really contrary to belonging or even to mattering. And then we attempt to use those systems to try to change their behavior. It's counterproductive when we look at it through that lens. So we will often overlay a perspective that can be an interim, like a stopgap, to thinking with our very human desire to create work within a working environment that matters to each of us. And really, truly, we want to be noticed. We want to feel valued and we want to be needed. And so when you look at that from a people management perspective, it, it matters. And that mattering, and that's a word now, that mattering is the way that we believe that we're significant. And if you're a people manager, you really need to understand what that means to the people that you work with. So Zach Mercurio has really significant research in this area. And there are two primary experiences. One is I am valued. And the other is I add value. And so mattering also is not interchangeable with belonging either. That's a separate item. Mercurio notes that when we feel like we belong, we feel welcomed, we feel accepted, we feel approved by the group of people that we work with. But when we feel that we matter, we feel significant to members in that group. So we feel like we're seen, we feel important, and we feel needed. And that is really present in how other people treat us. It's that treating relationship. And so that sense of belonging really increases the chance that we experience mattering and vice versa. So if we have managers who are skilled in understanding how people are within the workplace and they practice this way of being, 
then we ask better questions. And that goes back to that coaching as the new management superpower. And we can follow up with all of those regular check-ins, practice those competencies of being a servant leader, like empathy and compassion and deep listening. We can create those spaces for people to feel safe and to safely share within organizations and to be aware, that awareness of what's going on inside your area and inside your organization, because it really is a ripple effect, right? When something's happening one, it's good. It may impact another. And I really think that we need to demonstrate to the people that we work with that they have meaning and that they're significant to you. I love that, you know, that kind of model you shared of uh, I am valued and I add value because I think we see so many different personality tests and and aptitude tests to put people on these different spectrums. But I think regardless of how the individual is coming at it, what their perspective is, what their goals are, what's valuable, everybody wants this, right? Everybody wants to be valued and to be able to add value and to know that's recognized in the organization. Brilliantly summarized too. And the other thing is, I don't know their story. I may not know their story. And until I'm curious and I have a safe place to ask those questions and we've developed a relationship, I'm not going to know how I can best serve. We have to invest in the people that surround us. And we invest by asking really kind questions and creating opportunities and environments where people can feel safe to have that conversation and not be judged. Or if they have trauma inside of that experience, how we can best nurture uh, their safekeeping. Yeah, it's a great observation as well. Everybody's carrying that that little bit of history, that little bit of baggage inside that it really helps us if we can understand the other person through that perspective. Global pandemic certainly is another arm of that, right? We all lived through this global situation together and it affected people differently in every way, shape and form. Absolutely. So we're going to take a little uh, turn in uh, our conversation, uh, a little bit uh, different uh, topic. We want to talk about incivility, which I think we've all seen. There's a lot of incivility in the world today, particularly over the last few years. What would you attribute that to? It leads beautifully from just what we've been talking about in terms of psychological safety, because there's a factor within that context that relates to civility and respect. And if you look at some of the guiding research around there, there's actually components within those psychological safety factors that deal around civility and respect. And so when we're creating safe and respectful workplaces, the people who work within them should have an assurance that they're safe from harassment and disrespect and conflict while understanding the duties of the role. Civility has emerged as a significant issue and topic in in some of the trending information. And so we're finally beginning to understand that when incivility is on the rise, engagement drops. Because who wants to be part of that? We can see it with as our democracy is even challenged. And so when our workforce is fulfilled, 
They are full of innovative and creative ideas and opportunities. They push those competitive advantages forward, which makes the organization not only viable, but also creates opportunities. People want to work there because they understand that that is part of the attraction, right? And in terms of our labor market, right, that talent and attraction component is really important. But when it's threatened, um, health and well-being diminish. So violence is not part of the work creates trauma in the employee population. The only way forward is to hold those people who are triggering that incivility accountable. And Diane Kalen does some amazing work in this area around understanding those root causes related to incivility and that bullying and toxic kind of culture. And she states that the causes or triggers of incivility in the face of disagreement seem to come really from one or more of kind of four key areas. So the first one is really a lack of skills and healthy debate, right? There are no boundaries set. Productive discourse really and constructive disagreement is part of building innovative and creative opportunities because that difference of opinion, that diversity in thought, the diversity of our experiences creates opportunities that perhaps I may not have thought of from within my own lens. And that feeling of incivility is really justified when you're aggrieved, right? If I feel aggrieved, then I can be uncivil because you are disrespectful or whatever the case may be. Or that existence of that toxic culture encourages others to get their own way through uncivil methods. Oh, it worked for party A, so we're going to try it for party B. And that loss of shared vision and purpose or sense that we're in this alone instead of what we're really in this together. And that comes back to that sense of mattering and that feeling of belonging. Once you can identify where those factors are really located, then the way forward is to resolve it from the issue that is being presented. However, this is a leadership led initiative. Leadership must lead the way here in this intervention so that the workforce feels seen and heard and most importantly, safe. Opting to not speak up because it may be uncomfortable or there is the potential for a difference of a way forward may, in my opinion, may be the very definition of privilege. And when I said we need to check that lens at the beginning, that's really what it's about. You know, I'm I am imperfect at this and I'm not going to do it properly, uh, but to opt out isn't okay any longer. We have to have that courage and we have to do it as a community through connection and care. And there's a ton of work on privilege and power and perspective taking um, that comes from Brene Brown. And she's really quite a leader in how we can find our way through this. If people would just stop for a minute and just pause. I, I think that we can always find our way through this if we can learn to communicate effectively. Wow, that just speaks to me so much right now because we're seeing a lot of that in local government and your words are very impactful this morning to me. So thank you for that. Thanks. Um, we talk about privilege and power and you just highlighted that and they crop up often in local government. Talk a little bit about that and share your thoughts with us on that. Sure. And we can add one more to that list, which is perspective taking, because I think it was, you know, quite a while ago, 
and I'll come back to Brene Brown because it was when sh the Charlottesville issue was happening in 2017. And I was really listening. She was doing a live stream and I was listening to her thoughts specifically on what was happening at that time in the U.S. And she, she really said it well. She says, this is about owning our own story so that we can write our own ending. And so if incivility and a lack of accountability around that divisiveness that we're finding in our collective story is present, then we really need to step in and have the courage to own that. So we need to be truth-taking. That really is what we need to do here. So let's go through those three Ps and see how they all relate together so that I can maybe help provide a fulsome picture of how this can assist as we navigate this space together. So privilege, powerful word, right? People have lots of responses to that. They will either own it and step into their privilege, or I've had experience where people will completely step back. They'll say nothing. I've had nothing my whole life. I've had to work really hard to get here. And it's really not about that. It's about unearned access and authority. So how we actually get things that we haven't earned. For example, simply by the color of our skin or being able to hold hands with our significant other without fear of any type of retribution, or we can freely wear a symbol of our religion without being discriminated or harassed against. So for those who are listening and would really like to dig into this work, this is a great place to start. Peggy McIntosh did a ton of work on white privilege and how we can unpack the invisible knapsack. And that is a great starting resource to look at this from outside the frame of being a wanting to defend and actually starting to understand. Because I think that's really important. It's really easy. I said at the very beginning, words have meaning. And so when you say, oh, I can't, you're coming at this from a position of privilege, people sometimes can take offense to that. And so I think really understanding what that means. And I own my privilege. I have a ton of it. And so I always try to be respectful of what I already have that's unearned. And so the second component there is power. And there's two streams of power all in all of this, Anne and Sue, and it's power over and power with. And so I'll give a brief definition of what those are. Martin Luther King Jr. has a simple and a brilliant explanation of power. He says, power, properly understood, is the ability to achieve purpose. It's the strength required to bring about social, political, and economic change. So powerlessness then, I would offer, maybe is our most perilous state. And this is really where violence and isolation might live. So we've come to believe that power over is really finite. So if I share my power with you, I can never get that back. It's a zero-sum game for me. So this is power over, and in my opinion, not an effective way to lead. We actually end up disempowering the people who have these really amazing experiences. They have stories and ideas that they bring to the table. And how do we really create those effective, creative, innovative organizations when we are just disempowering everybody that we work with? We're not giving them the ability to be masterful and purposeful and have autonomy. If you look at Dan Pink's theory of motivation, you look at those three components. If you're using power over somebody and micromanaging them, 
you're not allowing them to actually be their very best person in the workplace. And power with is that shared power. And it's infinite. It never runs out. It is not zero sum. It is where collective wisdom resides. It is collaborative. It's built on the influence that we have amongst our peers. It builds bridges across differences. So when we talk about that incivility and that toxic culture, it gives us opportunities to act together. And really, truly, isn't this what we should be striving for? Research shows us that connection builds joy and happiness. So if shared power is infinite and can create those conditions of possibility, why wouldn't we strive for more of that? And then we talk about perspective taking. And we all see the world through a lens, right? We look through that lens through ethnicity and race and age, through ableism, and we place additional lenses on top of that insight from our own personal experience. What is our history? What is our origin story? What, what our family stories are? And we place that on top. And that's how we each see the world. Now, we can't take that off. It's not like a pair of glasses that we can remove and say, none of that influences the way I'm moving forward in the world. How are we able then to perspective take if our perspective is seen through our lenses? The answer is really quite simple, not easy, but simple. We believe people. We believe their stories and experiences as they tell them to us. We don't run it through our collective set of lenses. We, we understand that it's as real and as honest and as truthful as we would see it through our own lens. We want that when we're telling a story or we're telling of an experience that we've had. We want to be believed for what we're saying, not yes, but what about this? We want it to believe. So we know then that empathy is a part of leading through that servant leadership experience. And it really comes back to our first discussion on relationship management. And we know that there's four ways or four impacts to empathy. Um, Non-judgment, set that aside, right? Perspective taking. Recognizing emotion. And then communicating back that emotion. If you can't perspective take, which is the item we're talking about here, then you can't practice empathy. And you can't be emotionally intelligent and you can't bridge those opportunities and you can't lead skilled people managers and you can't be a skilled people manager because everything that we've talked about today is connected. There is a thread amongst all of that. And we start to tug a little bit on that and we can see how it all beautifully comes into this mosaic, just like every person and personality we have in our organization. And it creates an amazing picture, but we have to be willing to see what that picture presents to us. Wow. You love, love what you've said here and, you know, how it reflects what we can achieve through collaboration and working together and breaking down those barriers and not focusing so much on our own little silos, but taking us back from that individualistic perspective into thinking about the collective. I've seen it work and it works beautifully, but some of this work isn't easy and you need to be, you need to be prepared to go through 
the challenges uh, to get to the opportunity. Yeah, and I have to do a lot of trust building to get there. Exactly, Sue. I used to say to my team, look, we have obstacles in front of us, many of them at times. And the only way is through. You can't go around. You can't go under. You're not going to climb over it. We need to go through it. And we'll go through it together, supporting one another and taking care of one another as we do that. Because that is how we're going to get to the end of this place. As we prepare to uh, wrap up here, Raleen, we've talked a lot about the value of coaching and how powerful that can be. What role do you think that plays in uh, navigating and resolving the complex issues that we face in communities today? Like I said, none of this is just simple and easy work. But if we take everything that we've chatted about today and we do that hard work that we know we need to do and we're conscious about our actions and we're dedicated to moving forward, then that coaching framework absolutely can help us in leading through that. So ask the right questions, lead from a place of serving, be curious and kind. And most of all, remember that we all matter, I think can start to bridge some of those um, hurts that have happened to create some of those foundations of safety to help us formalize our purpose and our vision and really to align our values because we could probably have another whole conversation on values alignment and how it's so important that we achieve flow in organizations rather than living in a constant state of friction because if we're in that constant state of friction we're never going to be able to actualize the vision and the purpose of what it is we want to achieve together thank you so much your words have been so impactful this morning and we really appreciate them oh thank you to you both Truly, it has been my honor and my uh, pleasure to speak with you this morning. Thanks for joining us in the Local Gov Cafe. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share on social media or tell a friend. And we hope you'll join us next time as we welcome our next guest. You won't want to miss it.